I want to give you guys some advance warning today, uh, because now that I know that I'm allowed to walk down the aisles while I preach and pull people out of the congregation, you never know what's going to happen uh, today. So things could get interesting. Uh, I'm just kidding, but I hope you enjoyed getting to hear the word from Shannon Hurley, our missionary partner in Uganda, uh, last week. And as uh, you can see, being with Shannon kind of keeps you on your toes. And if you think he was keeping you on your toes here in Idaho, you should go spend some time with him in Uganda. I guess let me tell you, if you've never been to East Africa when you're there, it keeps you on your toes. You kind of never know what's going to happen next. So when you put East Africa and Shannon together, well, you're in for a wild ride. And uh, I hope some of you will get the chance and we'll be able to go over there and, and serve and be a part of what God is doing there in Uganda. But I know from the time I spent over there, I definitely came back with some, some stories, some exciting things that had happened. Uh, one time we were with Shannon, and there was a group of us, we were traveling, and as we were, we got a flat tire, which, you know, isn't the end of the world. That's not that abnormal, and two of the guys on our missions, our short-term missions team, they jumped in and uh, switched out the flat tire, and uh, we were back on the road before too long. And now I was sitting in the rear driver's side uh, seat, and as we were driving along, I saw something kind of glisten out of the corner of my eye. It looked like it was flying away from the vehicle. So I turned to the two guys next to me who had changed the flat tire. I was like, uh, did one of the lug nuts just fly off the car? And they said, oh, no. no we, we tightened those. We, we, we tightened the lug nuts. That, that wasn't that. Famous last words. Because seconds later, our car came screeching to a halt there on the road. And as we opened that door, the whole rear left wheel was gone. It was just gone. And we all piled out of the car and were just gawking, you know, at this wheel that was just now completely missing as Shannon went off to kind of go find out what happened. And give that a minute or two as we're just kind of looking at something we hadn't seen before. We noticed Shannon coming back towards the car, except there's like this crowd of people behind him. And the person at the front of this crowd seems very angry and is carrying a big stick. And about the same time, we're starting to hear word like, wait, what? The wheel that when it came off, it hit a little girl. And so it starts to get real tense. And as Shannon gets closer, all he says is, get in the car and lock the doors. And so we all pile into the car and lock the doors. And like I said, Uganda is exciting. So there were a few times already on that trip where I thought this could be the end. I might die. This time I was sure of it, right? Like it's been a nice run, but I can already see the headlines uh, you know, Americans killed in tragic, in response to tragic accident in Uganda. Now, as we, Shannon was still outside, but as all of us college students on this missions trip were in that car, right, feeling like, what in the world is going to happen next, imagine that somebody on the team said, hey, everybody, don't worry about it. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. How do you think that would have gone over in the moment? We've probably been like, oh, what are you talking about? Now is the time for our hearts to be troubled. Now is the time to be afraid. And if you're going to tell us that, you better give us some reasons why we shouldn't be afraid. Well, obviously, I did not die that day in Uganda. And also, very thankfully, that wheel clearly did not hit a little girl. And so before too long, we were back on the road after being pulled while still in the car on the back of a tow truck with people trying to steer it in reverse. That's another story for another time. Um, but East Africa keeps you on your toes. 
But as we think about this command that we're going to see today from Jesus, hey, let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. Asking, well, wait, why is a very fair question. Because I think everybody in this room, do you want to worry? I don't think so. Do you want to be afraid? I doubt it. Do you want to have peace that passes understanding? I think for all of us, the answer is yes. Well, if we're Jesus is commanding us to do those things. For us to do that, I think we're going to need to understand some of the why. Why is Jesus telling us we don't need to be afraid? And we're going to see he's going to give some answers clearly as we finish up John 14 today. So please take your Bibles, open up to John 14, and we're going to look at verses 25 through 31. John 14, 25 to 31. And we're in the middle of all these events and all this teaching that is going on on the last night of Jesus' life. And chapter 14 forms a a nice unit. It begins with this thought, let not your hearts be troubled. We're going to see that again. And then the chapter seems to end potentially with them changing location and starting to move toward the garden. But today we're going to look at these words spoken in the upper room. Follow along as I read verses 25 through 31. It says, these things I have spoken to you while I am still with you, but the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled. Neither let them be afraid. You heard me say to you, I am going away, and I will come to you. If you loved me, you would have rejoiced, because I am going to the Father, for the Father is greater than I. And now I have told you before it takes place, so that when it does take place, you may believe. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. He has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded me, so that the world may know that I love the Father. Rise, let us go from here. So here we see in this passage, right in the middle, in the middle of verse 27, two commands. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And if you thought, sitting in that car with the doors locked in Uganda was intense. Imagine the disciples knowing that Jesus, their leader, their teacher, is about to leave them, right? This is an intense situation for them. But it's in the middle of all that that Jesus says, hey guys, don't worry. You don't need to be afraid. And what we're going to see is not only does he give them that command, he surrounds it with a couple of reasons. Hey, here's why you don't need to be afraid. And even just to sum it all up very simply today, we're going to see Jesus is basically saying, disciples, don't be afraid because you've got the truth and I've got a plan. That's what Jesus is saying here. And I want us to first look at the command and then we'll look at the two reasons that Jesus gives. First, we look again at verse 27. Jesus says, peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. Well, what is peace? And even if you were to take your Greek New Testament and look at this Greek word, and then you were to take your Greek dictionary and open it up, it gives two definitions. And the first is a state of concord. 
And just in case you didn't use the word concord in conversation this week, which most of you probably didn't, right? It means like a state of agreement between two people or two parties, that you have two people that usually were opposed to each other, but now they're in agreement. They are in harmony. They are at peace. And the second definition that is given is a state of well-being. And now we're going to see in Jesus, we get both of these, and you can't really have one biblically without the other. First, there needs to be a state of concord. Keegan already reminded you, so you should be ready. Last week, we talked about how there is a... Still working on it, still waking up a little bit, and his way is the... Right. Well, we have to remember that without Christ, that's not very good news because that king is our enemy and we are not walking in his way. We need peace between us. We need a state of concord between us and God. How in the world are we going to get that? Jesus. He's the one that's going to give that peace. And this isn't a subjective, how do you feel peace? This is an objective state of fact peace. And he gets this peace by the life that he lived, the sacrificial death that he died, and rising again. He has made a way for there to be peace between you and God. Though you were once the enemy of God, now you can be his son or his daughter, a part of his family, and that's all offered through Jesus Christ. And if you have that peace, that state of concord, well, then you can have the state of well-being, the state of calm that we Think of when we associate with peace. And I love how it says it in verse 27. He says, my peace I give to you. Was Jesus going through something pretty intense when he's saying these words? Does he know that he is about to be abandoned, tortured, and crucified? Yes, he knows all of these things. Does it look like Jesus is freaking out? Or does it look like he has peace? You can, this is where you can respond. Freaking out or peace? peace? Peace. Yeah. And he's saying, hey, my peace that I have in the face of all this, I'm going to give it to you. And this is what Jesus is offering here. Isn't that pretty incredible? And he goes on to describe this peace that he gives, not as the world gives do I give to you. This peace that Jesus is offering is very different from any peace we can find in the world. And in case you haven't noticed, when the world talks about peace, it is usually always tied to circumstance. You want to have peace? Well, then you got to manipulate your situation so it's peaceful. Peace comes from the outside in, according to the world. Jesus is teaching, no, I'm going to give you a different peace, a peace that comes from the inside out, that really comes from a right relationship with God. And then he gets to the command. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. And if you look at John 14, there's not actually a lot of imperative statements, imperative verbs in this chapter. But when you do find them, they're pretty much saying this same thing. Whether it's at the beginning of the chapter, go back to verse 1. These are commands right here. Let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in God, believe also in me. And now later, as he's wrapping up this section in John 14... Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. He is emphasizing this, and I want us just to note, he's not making suggestions here. These are commands from our king to not be afraid. So let's write it down like this. Point number one, as followers of Christ, resolve not to fear. Resolve not to fear. 
This isn't the only place in the Bible we see this. We see this over and over and over again. One of the most frequent commands in the Bible is do not fear. We see that all the way back at God speaking to Abraham. When Abraham's looking around, I was promised I would have all these descendants. I would prom- promised I would have all this land and be a great nation. And I got no land and I got no kids. What's up with that? God shows up and says, Abraham, do not be afraid. I am your shield. I am your reward. He reminds him of his promises. Or we think of Moses and even how God taught him to teach the people when their backs are up against the Red Sea. Moses tells them, guys, don't be afraid. Watch what God is going to do. Or you think of Joshua. Is he prepared to lead the people? God commands him, be strong and courageous. From the beginning of the scriptures, God's direction to his people is very clear. Don't be afraid. We see it reflected in the Psalms in King David. When he writes things like Psalm 27, The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? And the answer is obvious and implied. The answer is nobody. I'm not going to be afraid of anybody or anything. And this is now how Jesus has been teaching his disciples. You don't need to turn there, but if you just want to listen to Matthew chapter 10, this is Jesus preparing some of his followers for an intense time of ministry. He's preparing them to go out and preach the word. And in Matthew 10, verse 26, he says, So have no fear of them, for nothing is covered that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. What I tell you in the dark, say in the light, and what you hear whispered, proclaim on the housetops, and do not fear those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? And not one of them will fall to the ground apart from your father. But even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not, therefore, for you are of more value than many sparrows. In training men for ministry, Jesus wants to make sure one thing gets clear. You guys don't need to fear. Right? If we were training people for ministry the way Jesus did, there'd be a whole class in seminary just on don't fear. That's what we'd be emphasizing. That's what Jesus emphasizes. And often, Jesus rebukes his disciples. If you're doing the revival from the Bible reading with us, we just read through Mark chapter 4 this week, where Jesus gets woken up in the boat during the storm. He stills the, the storm, and he turns to the disciples, and he says, why are you so what? Afraid. Oh, you of little faith. He rebukes them for their fear. Think from the beginning of the scriptures to the end, God's pretty clear. Hey, if you're one of my people, I don't want you to be afraid. Let's talk about some things that doesn't mean. That doesn't mean all of our circumstances will be great. Because there's going to be some intense things that happen. Sometimes when we're telling someone not to fear, we're basically trying to say, hey, you're afraid of, of nothing. There's, there's nothing going on. I think of my daughter yesterday when that storm came rolling through. You guys like that? Well, she was not liking that. She was like, well, this wind, I saw a lightning. What are we going to do? And I'm like, don't be afraid. We're inside of our house. There's nothing to be scared of. Like this circumstance isn't even remotely frightening. We need to grow out of this. Well, that's not what Jesus is saying here. 
He's not saying, hey, everything is going to be fine. No, there's going to be some intense things that happen. Think about what these people he is talking to are facing. Ten out of eleven of the guys he's talking to will be martyred. So it's not, hey, guys, you're going to have a nice life. Everything's going to be fine. Everything's going to be rosy. No, don't be afraid, even though trouble is coming. As we think about some of the things that you will face in your life, you're going to go through trials that aren't easy, that aren't fun, that are painful, that are difficult. But it's even in those situations that God is saying, don't be afraid. Let not your heart be troubled. And those 11 men, they were in store for persecution. And I think if we look at our society, I don't want to be excessively doomsday, but look at the world we're living in, and every Christian should have their eyes wide open how our culture is growing more and more against God and against his word. And if you want to follow Christ, that's going to start to cost you more and more. But no matter what, we need to resolve, I'm not going to be afraid. I'm not going to let my heart be troubled. Obeying those commands doesn't mean that the circumstances are always going to be great. It also doesn't mean that we don't care about things. There is some somewhat of a fine line between concern and fear, right? There's things going on that you, in your personal life, in the world, that, hey, there's some sense and wisdom in being aware of them and a healthy concern about them. I mean, some of you, you might think about your children and the world that they're growing up in or your grandchildren. Should you be concerned about that? Absolutely. Should you be afraid about that? Absolutely not. And when we kind of cross that line to where we're freaking out, we're, we're, we're losing control even of our thoughts and our minds, we're doing what Jesus has told us not to do. And another thing this doesn't mean, this doesn't mean that there will be no internal struggle. we got a wide variety of people in this room. And some of you, just with the disposition God has given you, you're just naturally stoic, right? You, doesn't matter what's going on. You're sleeping fine. It doesn't affect you. Other, others of you, you're kind of on the other end. And even just physically, you're affected. Something's going on like you can't eat. You can't sleep, right? You, you feel all of those things. And this does not mean, this peace that Jesus is offering and this command to not fear doesn't mean that there will be no physical struggle even as you seek to follow Christ. And even a word to those of you that maybe are more disposed towards those anxious feelings, consider Jesus even this night. My peace I give to you. Does that mean that this night Jesus was just like, oh, this is great. Everything is fine. There was no struggle. There was absolutely struggle. Earlier in John 13, he says, my soul is troubled. Later that night, we know from the other gospels, he's going to be pouring himself out in prayer, sweating like drops of blood. Doesn't mean that it was easy to not fear. What does it mean? An old preacher in England, Martin Lloyd-Jones, defined faith even this way. Faith is the refusal to panic. That's what it means. That even though the circumstances might get scary, even though my stomach might be in knots, even though there might be some things I legitimately need to be concerned about, I will not panic. I will not freak out. Because that is what God has told me to do. No matter what happens to you personally, to us collectively, We will not panic. We will not freak out. We will not fear. We will not let our hearts be troubled. And one last thing as we think about this command for peace. This peace, it seems, 
is not available to everyone all the time because there's clearly an opposition. There's this peace versus the kind of peace that the world gives. So this peace that Jesus is talking about is available to followers of Jesus Christ. So the question you've got to ask yourself today really is, are you with the world or are you with Christ? Because if you are with the world, following the world, walking with the world, you will not know this peace. And I guess maybe I misspoke when I said this peace is not available to all. It is available to all because all, you can become a follower of Jesus Christ. Turning from your sin, putting your faith in Christ, who died for you, who rose again. That is the path towards knowing this peace. You want to know this peace on the inside? Well, then you've got to make peace with the king. And the only way to do that is through Jesus Christ. It's not through trying harder. It's not through doing better. It's through faith in what Jesus has already done. That's how you make peace with the king. And if you know, man, I've got no peace in my life. I'm panicking. I'm freaking out all the time. Then maybe for you, step one is, well, then I need to make peace with the king by bowing the knee to King Jesus and looking to him as Savior and Lord. For those that are following Christ, he's telling all of us, guys, don't be afraid because you've got the truth and I've got a plan. We want to see that first reason why, which again is a fair question. Hey, if I'm not supposed to be afraid, why shouldn't I be afraid? Well, I think we're going to see two compelling reasons in this passage. And the first one is at the beginning, before we get to that command to not be troubled. Look again at verse 25. It says, These things I have spoken to you while I am still with you. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send to me, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. So put yourself in the shoes of the disciples, or the sandals of the disciples, so to speak. And as you think about that, all they've known in their days of following Christ is Jesus being physically present with them, teaching them what they need to know. Now, they're not going to have that anymore. You can see how that might be something that is tempting to trouble their hearts. But Jesus is saying, guys, I've spoken to this while I'm with you, but the teaching that you're getting from God is not about to end because you're going to get another helper. You're going to get the Holy Spirit whom the Father will send in Jesus' name. What does that mean? That means with the power and with the authority of Jesus. Just like if you think of a police officer shouting at someone fleeing from a crime scene to stop in the name of the law. Right? They're saying, because of the power and the authority of the law, stop. Well, the Spirit is coming in the name of Jesus, with the power and the authority of Jesus. And he describes what he will do. He will teach you all things, and he is going to help you remember. I want to look at a few verses here, because this is a a theme that comes up several times in these chapters we're looking at. Go back to verse 17 in John 14. Well, I guess verse 16, where he says, And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. And I said when we went through it then, I'm like, we'll talk about that in a couple weeks. Well, here we are. It's a couple weeks Let's talk about it. And let's also look at what's going to come a little bit later in chapter 16. Chapter 16, verse 12. Very similar idea to what we're seeing right now in chapter 14. Where Jesus says, I still have many things to say to you. But you cannot bear them now. Well, Jesus, how's that going to work? Because you're leaving. How are you going to tell us more stuff when you're gone? When the spirit of truth comes. 
He will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. So even as we think through that, what is the Holy Spirit doing? And even we just think about that question, what does the Holy Spirit do? There's all kinds of things. And we tried to emphasize that a couple weeks ago, that the Holy Spirit is God. And if you're a Christian, you have the Holy Spirit inside of you. Let's put that all together. God lives inside of you if you are a believer. That's a pretty powerful thing. And that should affect us in all kinds of ways. And is the Spirit who lives inside of us, is He working to guide us? Is He working to convict us? Does He help illuminate Scripture so we understand it and know how to apply it to our lives? Does He prompt us sometimes to do things or say something to somebody? I think the answer to all those questions is yes. And how does that all work? That can be hard to explain sometimes. But the question I want to ask is, what are these passages talking about? Because there's a lot that the Holy Spirit does, and I don't think that these passages are giving us a full theology of everything the Holy Spirit does. I think it's talking about something more specific. Look at our passage today again, verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, and then especially this part, and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. It's going to help them remember. Let's just think about this for a second. What book of the Bible are we in right now? All right. Half of you have gotten the book we've been in for the last year and a half. That's good. All right. Who wrote the book of John? All right. We're getting stronger. And who just so happened to be in the room actually hearing these words that Jesus is speaking that we're reading about right now? John. So John wrote this gospel. He was right there listening to Jesus say this, and he was one of the 12 disciples who got to see and hear so much of what Jesus said. And then we saw in chapter 16, even it talks about the Holy Spirit. He will declare to you the things that are to come. What's that book at the end of the Bible called? Who wrote that? Oh, so What's going on in these verses? Let me tell you what I think specifically. Again, this isn't a full theology of everything the Holy Spirit does, but I think what Jesus is specifically getting at in chapter 14, in chapter 16, he's basically saying, guys, the canon is not closed. The truth is not over. The Spirit is going to come. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you remember, and we're going to end up with what we hold in our hands today. I think this is Jesus really speaking about the Scripture that was going to be written. And it's a very fair question, something that you should have good answers to. If somebody asks you, well, okay, how how do we know that this is the Word of God? And even specifically, these 66 books you got, how do you know that those are the Scriptures? Well, the Old Testament for us is a little bit easier because that was pretty much set. The Old Testament was set when Jesus was around and he comes and puts his stamp of approval on it. So, hey, if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me, right? Well, what about the New Testament? Because... Jesus wasn't around when that was written. Well, I think what we're seeing right here in front of our eyes in chapter 14 is Jesus preemptively saying, it's going to happen. The Holy Spirit is going to come and he's going to help you finish the work. He's going to guide you into all truth. He's going to help you remember the things that I've told you. So you, so you John, can write it down in 2,000 years from now, people can pack out a middle school gymnasium in Idaho and study it, right? I think that's what he's specifically talking about in these verses. And again, one of the first things we need to think of when we think of the Holy Spirit is the Holy 
scriptures because he's the one that worked to write these. There's a very important, important passage. Let's go to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1, and it describes even how does the scriptures come to be? How did we get this, and why should we think that it's actually the word of God? 1 Peter 1, verse 20 says, Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. That's where we get the theological term we use to describe this is inspiration. As it says in 2 Timothy, all Scripture is breathed out by God. And that happens through the Holy Spirit. That yes, there were human authors and even their own style and vocabulary and personality can be reflected in what they wrote. But in the end, the very words that they are writing are exactly what the Holy Spirit wanted them to say. What you hold in your hands is a product of the Holy Spirit. And what should we do about it? We'll go back to verse 19 in 2 Peter 1. It says, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your heart. We've got to pay attention. We've got to hold on to this word like a light in a dark place. Point number two, hold on tightly to the truth. Hold on tightly to the truth. This is the first reason why we don't need to be afraid. Because we've got the truth. The, work of, the words of Christ weren't done when he died on the cross. The Holy Spirit came and now we have God's word that we can hold in our hands. And even as we seek to walk through this Christian life, we want to always lean into what is clearly revealed. That's got to be the foundation for everything else in our lives. Because sometimes are you going to have to navigate desires, things that I think God puts on your heart? And are you going to have to wait, man, is this the Holy Spirit leading me to do this? Or is that just my flesh? Well, how are you going to figure that out? By leaning into what's clear, what, what God has spoken through the word. Unfortunately, a lot of teaching about the Holy Spirit today starts to sound a lot like trust your feelings, which just in case we need to be a reminder, that is a line from Star Wars, not a line from Scripture. Okay, we need to be always checking our feelings against the word of God so we can start to learn more and more as we grow in our faith. What's the spirit and what's my own flesh? What are my own selfish desires? Because unfortunately, we can be confused about the two. We need the scriptures to inform us. And in this dark world, we need to hold on tight to this lamp. If you think about being in a dark place or maybe the power has gone out in your house at night, and you're trying to find something, or if you've ever done some spelunking and been exploring caves, or you're out camping, right, and there's no lights from the city, and you hear rustling in the bushes, and you want to find out, is that a bear or is that my buddy? Because that's going to that's gonna make a difference with what I do with this gun I'm packing with me, right? You, you want to know, well, what are you going to use? You're going to hold on to that light. That light is gold in those dark situations. Well, we live in a dark world. And everything that we see, we need to be checking it with the light of Scripture. They say that we live in the information age, right? 
Well, for living in the information age, reliable information is awfully hard to come by, isn't it? I mean, think about the world that we're living in. There's misinformation. That's what we should be saying. We're, we're living in the misinformation age. And you even think about the media, right? And they're all falling over themselves to try to call themselves the most trusted name in news. And I'm like, if you're that trustworthy, can't you just show me? Why do you have to tell me so much? It's kind of like five guys. Like, if you're so delicious, why can't you just give me the burger instead of telling me what every mid-sized newspaper in the United States thinks about you? But that's a different sermon <laughs> for a different time, right? And that's where most people, they're not out to just try to tell you the information. They've got their own agenda. And most of the time, it's, they want to rile you up because the more you get riled up, the more you pay attention to them. And the more attention you pay to them, the more money they make. And then you get beyond that, and it's just like the wild, wild west of the in internet. And what, what am I going to believe? What's really true? Well, first and foremost, we pay attention to this, and we examine everything else that we see by this. This is our lamp. And we need to hold on tight to it. And I want to ask you, are you giving more attention to the word than you're giving to anything else? I'm not saying there aren't good places. We need to get information and we should be aware of what's going on in the world. But the primary source of information is God's word. And we're checking all the other information we get against God's word. You want to know what the most trusted source of news is in this world? It's this book right here. And we're going to filter everything else through that. And I want you to think, what, what gets most of your attention? Is it God's word? Or is your favorite conservative commentator on Twitter? Is it God's word? Or is it your favorite mom blog? Is it God's word or fill in the blank? And maybe it's not something you think you're getting information from. Maybe it's just, man, all that information, I can't handle it, so I want to escape so is it God's word or social media? Is it God's word or sports? And none of those things I'm saying are bad things, but something has to be primary. Something has to be first. And what needs to be first is God's word. And that needs to be personal for every single person here. You're going to make choices this week. What am I going to focus on? And at the center of that focus needs to be the truth that Jesus, I think, is promising right here in John 14. You need to be committed to that as an individual, and we need to be committed to that as a church. The first two distinctives of our church, if you look on our website, are the Bible is central, and we're going to showcase expository preaching. It's going to be all about this book at Compass Bible Church, because the fads of ministry are going to come and go. The ideas of the world are going to come and go, but the Word of God stands forever. And that's what we're always going to look at. And sometimes we're going to have to evaluate the fads of ministry and the ideas of the world, but we're going to always do it by looking at this book first and seeing what does God have to say. And we've got to remain committed to that as a church. And really, that's going to look by day to day, you looking to God's word before you look to anything else. We don't need to be afraid because we have the truth and Jesus has a plan. And that's really the idea of what I think comes after the command in our passage. When you look at verse 28 to the end of the chapter. 29, Jesus is even emphasizing, hey guys, I'm telling you this ahead of time so that I can show you, I know what I'm talking about, so I can show you I am in control of the situation. Because you're going to start to be worried, you're going to be tempted for your heart to be troubled, but you need to know I'm telling you this ahead of time because I have a plan. And this is all going to go according to my plan. Point number three today, trust that God has a plan. 
And hopefully we can all remember the idea of this message today. We don't need to be afraid because we have the truth and God has a plan. And even first, in verse 28, he talks about how he is going away. And even he's going to the Father who is greater than I. That is where Jesus belongs. Jesus condescended. It was a humbling thing for Jesus to take on the form of a servant and be born in human form and to live in this world. That was a sacrifice that Jesus made for us. The plan is he goes back to be with his Father. And I think Jesus is even kind of getting to them a little bit for being selfish. Hey, if you really loved me, you'd rejoice that I'm going back to the Father. I mean, imagine your, your wedding and if your bridal party was spending the whole day, I'm just going to miss you so much. You'd be like, do you guys even like me? Like, aren't you excited for me? Like, that's what you should be. That's what Jesus is saying to the crowds. Hey, you, you should be excited for me. I'm going to go be with the Father. The Father is greater than I. This is his plan. And he is telling them this, verse 29, in advance so that they can believe when they see, whoa, it happened just like Jesus said. And then the passage gets very interesting in verse 30. I will no longer talk much with you, for the ruler of this world is coming. What's up with that? Well, the ruler of this world clearly is referring to Satan. But what does his coming look like? He was going to appear and materialize? I think specifically, what, what did Satan coming look like? Well, Judas and the gang showing up. I'm going to be arrested. The rulers of this world and the people that are his pawns, they are going to come and they are going to arrest me. But the ruler of this world, he has no claim on me. But I do as the Father has commanded so that the world may know that I love the Father. So even though the ruler of this world thinks that he is accomplishing his plan, Jesus says, what's really going on is I'm just doing what the Father has told me and showing the world that I love him. And this is even a very interesting concept, and I want you to see it somewhere else. Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, where Paul then is going to say something that I think touches on a very similar idea to what we're seeing in John 14. He's talking about wisdom and a wisdom from the world, which really comes from the devil, versus heavenly wisdom that comes from God. Verse 6, he says, Yet among the mature we do impart wisdom, although it is not a wisdom of this age or of the ruler of this age. This is not worldly wisdom, because worldly wisdom and those who give it are doomed to pass away. Worldly wisdom is going away. But, verse 7, we impart a secret and hidden wisdom of God, which God decreed before the ages for our glory. And then get this in verse 8. None of the rulers of this age understood this. For if they had, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. That Satan and his pawns, the human rulers that were being used to accomplish what he thought was his will, he didn't know what he was doing. If he understood what was really going on, Christ wouldn't have been crucified. And so we see this picture that on what we now call Good Friday, on that actual day, as Jesus is on the cross, 
it's clear Satan and the religious leaders, the, the rulers of this age, they're all looking at this saying, this is great. Look, the Messiah on the cross, he's dying. Yes. And I don't know, but at some point, there's clearly a, uh-oh, oops. Wait, this, this isn't what we planned. That even though they thought everything was going according to their plan, Jesus is saying, no, no, no. Everything is going exactly as I have planned it. And the ruler of this world has no claim on me. On that day, the rulers of the, the world, they're, they're playing checkers while God is playing chess. And he knows everything that is going on. And that was true on Good Friday. And you better believe that's still true today as well. Look at this verse from Ephesians chapter 1. It says, In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according, and then look how it describes God here, according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. What is God like? Well, he works all things according to the purpose of his will. All the pieces on the board go exactly where he wants them to go. And occasionally the rulers of the world, they think they're getting somewhere, but no, it's all going according to God's plan. And I want you to think through this personally and some of those personally intense things that might be fearful to you, that diagnosis you might get, that job you might lose, or as you lay up at night wondering, well, how am I ever going to pay for this? Or how am I ever going to find a godly spouse? Or what's that all going to look like? And you need to remind yourself, God is working all things according to the counsel of his will, no matter what is going on in your life. And also, as we look out at things in our world, it can be concerning, right? When you look at the headlines, less and less people in the United States of America wanting to claim any connection to Christ, seeing a government in power in the United States that has an aggressive anti-God agenda that they want to push. Trust me, the people in power in our government right now, they don't want institutions like this to exist. And if they had free reign to do whatever they wanted, that would become the law. They don't want people that actually believe what the Bible says to be able to do what it says and teach what it says. And even we see COVID still being used to shut down churches. I mean, I'm all, I've always been glad I don't live in Canada, but especially right now, when you see churches getting their buildings taken away or surrounded by fences so that people cannot gather to worship God. And obviously, that's, that's concerning. And I can't tell the future, but it looks like the direction we're headed is not good. And what we need to realize is, guess what? Who's still in control? God. And the world, they might think, oh, we're getting our way. The rulers of this age might think, ah, we're advancing. They're still playing checkers while God is still playing chess. Everything is working according to the counsel of his will. It is all going according to plan. The ruler of this world still has no claim on Jesus. And if you belong to him, he's got no claim on you either. And that's the truth. And that's why we shouldn't be afraid. Now, that doesn't mean we become fatalistic, and I'm just going to sit back and watch the world slide downhill, right? And if, as many of you have, you moving to Idaho was just your version of Jonah heading outside the city and pitching a tent and finding some shade, whatever, so he can watch judgment fall. If that's what you're thinking, you're doing, that's not what it's about. God still has us on a mission. We are the salt 
of the earth. We are meant to be the light to the world. And we're meant to do that with confidence and without fear. And look at how Jesus ends. The ruler of the world is coming, but he has no claim on me. I'm just doing what the Father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the Father. That's what you and I need to be doing too. The world is going to rage. The nations are going to assemble against the Lord and against his anointed. And you and I, we need to say, but I'm just doing what the Father has commanded me to do so that the world may know that I love the Father. And a lot of that really is not going to be something that happens in the public arena. It's going to be something that happens in the privacy of your own heart and even in your own home. When the world comes knocking, not through some news headline, but through your flesh and the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. And when you look at those things and say, no, 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 because there is a king, his way is the best, and I'm following him, not the world. The ruler of this world has no claim on me. It's going to look like us then, even in the world, standing up for what is right, following the example of Daniel and his friends. No, I will not defile myself with that food. No, I will not bow down to the idol. And I'm going to keep praying no matter what you say. That this is what God wants his people to do, to obey him. And that includes being faithful to the mission he gave us. Our mission isn't, all right, sit back and let's just watch God judge the sinful world. Our mission is go into all nations and make disciples, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. That is our mission. So whether we're thinking through our own personal obedience and temptations that no one else might know about, whether it thinks about, no, at, at my office, they want me to do this, but that is not right. That is, doesn't honor God, so I will not do that. Or whether it is, well, no matter what's going on, who am I going to reach with the gospel? I'm always looking to share the good news of Jesus Christ with somebody else. This is what God wants us to do. Jesus, I think, makes the point very clearly. We don't need to be afraid. Because we have the truth, and he has a plan, so let's go. 